I am still real excited and jazzed to be a part of what I believe will be absolutely life-changing for each one of us. And um, let me just say before I read a couple of good reports here of just things that people have associated with what they have done in the fast, I just want to remind you again that there is warfare during a fast. I probably should have preached on it, and I may yet still, but you know, Jesus went into a 40-day fast early into, in his ministry, and guess who showed up? Yeah, the enemy. And, and so uh, the enemy doesn't want you fasting, praying, giving, practicing precept before the Lord. The enemy sees what you're up to, and he wants to do everything he can to distract you, to discourage you, and to detour you uh, with absolutely anything at his disposal. But I do want to say this. This is what I believe. The Bible says that when Jesus came out of that 40-day time period, he was actually in a 40-day fast at that time. We're we're in a 21-day fast. But the Bible says that when Jesus came out of that 40-day fast, that he came out, the Scripture says, in the power of the Spirit. Now, folks, I believe we can come out in the power of the Spirit. I believe that every day that goes by, we are taking new ground. Now, you may not be able to see that, and you may not be able with your natural senses be able to, to comprehend all of that. But I believe right now, right now as you are on day eight in the middle of a fast, that you are literally uh, being propelled to a new level. Come on now, you got to believe that. You're becoming a new wineskin right now. You're in day eight of recreation. That you're being recreated into a new wineskin that God can pour something new into. And I believe, this is just what I believe the Holy Spirit said, and I believe He said it to me, and and you can receive it as a word to you as well. I'm not going to try to distinguish if it was just a personal word or a congregational word, but I would love for it to be a congregational word. And it's this, the Holy Spirit said that halfway through this fast, so what would that be, about ten and a half, that would be like midnight or something, or noon, I don't know, at the ten and a half mark. The Holy Spirit said to me, that's the tipping point. That's the moment when we're going to tip over into the arena of breakthrough. Now, you're on day eight. Come on now, two and a half more days. You've seen, you've seen, haven't you seen like a a teeter-totter? When there comes this tipping point where it eventually tips, I'm telling you, ten and a half, there's a tipping point, and and you're going to begin to see God do some incredible things in your life. But I just want to let you hear a couple of people emailed me and you can email me you can write it down on one of those praise reports if you'd like i'm gonna uh keep the name out to protect the innocent and just share with you some things people have written to me uh dear pastor the fast has shown me that my walk with the lord has been so inadequate these few days of fasting has brought me closer to him than in my whole life I think it breaks me down and I can see him better. I see now that there is something about being well fed that makes me feel falsely capable and able and not needing his strength. I see clearly now that fasting is an essential practice in my life. And thanks for leading us in your ways. Hey, pastor, this is another one. I just read the blog and have something good to report. My landlord came by yesterday to get the rent check. He said that even though we agreed that the rent would increase in March, he and his brother had talked it over and they wanted to leave it the same. I didn't even have to ask. How about that? Now, I'm just telling you, you've got to start looking for God to move. 
And what he has done in these people's lives, I believe, him being no respecter of people, he'll do it for you too. Amen? So we want to continue to talk about the fast. And I want to encourage you this morning, hopefully. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. If you have 30 minutes, find Zechariah. Actually, if you go to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, turn left. He's right there. I'm going to read a verse or two from Zechariah, and then you can go ahead and begin to find Isaiah. It's a little bit easier book to find in the middle of the Old Testament. But I just want to encourage you with some things that I found here as I talked this morning on what I've entitled The Motivation to Fast. The Motivation to Fast. This week, I've been attempting to read more than I normally do, trying to, as I'm preparing my spirit, in a spiritual practice of fasting, I want to be able to input something that will be a benefit as well. So I've been doing my best to read. And I was reading a short little book on motivation. And it was interesting as I was reading it because the book really was written in order to share some insight about how you keep yourself motivated in whatever God's purposes are in your life, how you keep yourself motivated with regards to His plan and other features of Him working in your life. But the very book on motivation and how you keep yourself motivated in order to do the will of God made me leap into the whole concept of motive. You see, your motivation is linked to your motive. Surprise, surprise. That's why the two words are derivatives of one another. And I'll be honest with you, it is easy to lose your enthusiasm about fasting when you are really feeling hungry. And it's not just feeling hungry because if you're doing a Daniel fast, you can really find ways, you know, to to eat and feed yourself on, on fruits and vegetables. But, you know, you start eating days and days and days of fruits and vegetables and you start seeing steaks and burgers and chicken and Dairy Queen. And, you know, you just, you know, a bowl of cereal with milk starts looking You know, you wouldn't have thought about a bowl of cereal before, but now it's like, man. And and so there's this motivation that has to begin to come into your, your, your walk at this point in order to complete what it is that God has at least called me to. And I know some of you are doing this as well. And in order to get to the finish line, to get to the 21st day, I think we need to deal with the concept of motivation and to deal with the concept of motive. And there's a verse in Zechariah chapter 7. Did you find Zechariah? I believe the guys in the back are so good at finding these things. They'll be able to flash these verses, I suspect, on the screen. Zechariah chapter 7. There's some really crazy words in here, all right? So I may just skip them or butcher them. Um, But Zechariah 7 verse 1, it says this. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev. It wasn't August, it was Chislev. When the people sent uh, Shurazer with Regan Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Now apparently, I'll just stop here, they had created a special time of the year. Now God had not commanded this fast, but they had created for some other reason or various reasons of fast which apparently had become somewhat of a tradition 
that they continued with through the years. And so they were just checking it out, sort of with leadership. Is this something we should continue to do? Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land, Now this is the Lord speaking, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? Dash. For me? Did you really fast for me? So the Lord is asking them directly. He says, why are you fasting? Why are you fasting? Now, the only one that really knows your motives when you're doing anything for the Lord or because you're trying to be obedient to the Lord or because you're practicing perhaps a precept or a principle that you have learned, the only one that really knows your motives, to be candid, is the Lord. And maybe you do too, but even that sometimes can be questionable. You see, you can do spiritual things and the motive of it can be very self-consumed. It can be very self-centered. You say, well, Pastor, surely that couldn't be the case because if I was doing a spiritual precept, it would seem to me by virtue of the very fact that I was doing this precept that everything would be cool with regards to my motives. You need to realize that many people serve God, love God, walk with God, do certain things the Bible says to do for reasons that are purely self-consumed, purely self-centered. I mean... In our circles in particular, there are many people who do what they do in order to get a blessing. They do things because God's Word says there's a blessing and they see that, and so they do it for the motive of getting blessed. They do it for the motive of getting rewarded. They do things for the motive of, I want to be free. They do things for the motive because they need help. They want to look good. Uh, so some people, believe it or not, they come to church. Is coming to church a good thing? Absolutely. But believe it or not, there are people who come to church to network their business. Now, maybe that can be a nice little side-on, but hopefully you come to church for greater reasons than that. But you're getting the point. The list can be long. We can do things that outwardly appear to be the right thing or the spiritual thing to do, but inside it really is self-centered. So the prophet Zechariah hears the Lord and the Lord says, are you really fasting for me? In fact, he says it twice. How many of you know if God says it twice? He's underscoring something for me. Now, we're about halfway through, just a couple days and we're halfway through the fast. And I just wanted to take a moment to deal with motivation. And it's a good time just to do a motive check. Why are you fasting? Are you fasting because it's another method you are trying to simply get your blessing? Are you fasting because you think it's just another key that you can put into the lock and twist the key and somehow it opens up and you've leveraged God into giving you a reward? Maybe you're fasting because you thought, well, Lord, I, I, I do need to lose a few pounds. It's the first of the year. Pastor's calling us to a fast. I probably can just kind of link all these things together and it would probably do me good to lose a couple pounds here and there. And, and, and so I'll just kind of step in and do it that way. Or maybe you would say, well, you know, Pastor, we love you. We respect you. And the uh, truth of the matter is, if you feel like that's what God's saying, we wouldn't want to disappoint you. We wouldn't want to 
in any way appear that we aren't participating in what the broader body is doing. And, and so there can be all sorts of things that can be stirring around inside of us with regards to our motivation. What is your motivation? Because truth is, if your motivation isn't right, then in all likelihood, the success that you hope to see come out of your fast will elude you in these three weeks that we spend together fasting before the Lord. Because fasting is just like any other spiritual practice. It can be corrupted, and it was in these days. I mean, it can be just like any other important practice that God will move on. You can give. Giving's good. Believe me, giving is good. But if you give just to get, then you've corrupted the whole concept of why you give. If you're praying, praying is good. Is it not good? But you know, some people never pray until they get their tail in a sling. And then they start praying. So the only reason you're a praying person is because I need God to pull me out of this mess. There are people who practice Positive confession and being positive. But the whole reason they're positive is because they can hopefully put something into motion that causes business or sales or whatever it is that they're involved in in order to happen a little bit better. They just want God to perform. Now, all of these things that I mentioned to you are good. They are biblical. I have taught them to you and they need to be implemented in our life. In fact, the Bible says that all of these things carry a reward with them. You will be rewarded. But the key is we've reached the place in America thinking if I do anything, I need to get paid for it. Whatever it is I do even before God, there ought to be some benefit instantly that I get out of it. I've even heard people through the years, and I'm talking 30 years now, who have said, well, you know, I, my motive probably isn't right. So maybe if my motive, mo, well, since my motive isn't right, I don't have to give. My motive isn't right, I don't have to pray. I mean, I, mean, if, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So if my motive isn't right, then I just, I'm just absolved from having to do anything. Now, excuse me, how dumb is that? You don't quit a command because your motive isn't right. You get before God and get your motive right. See, that's the key. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something. I don't believe I put it on the screen. If I did, I forgot. But here, here's our problem. We have confused motives with feelings. I'll say that again. We have confused motives with feelings. A motive isn't a feeling. I want you to get this. A motive is not a feeling. We confuse the two. We wrap them up together. Because a lot of times, you see, we, we do things when we get the feeling. We do things when it feels right. When I feel right, I'll do it. A motive is not a feeling. There are all sorts of things I do that I don't feel like doing. They're the thing to do. And uh, at the same time, I can be motived genuinely. But my feeling's just not there. So let's be careful we don't make motives into feelings. A motive... I started to think about this because I've never, I've never really heard anybody else teach this or say this, but I believe this to be true, that a motive is not exactly a feeling, but a motive is more like a conviction. Now, what do I mean by that? <laughs> I mean this. Now, this may surprise you. Well, maybe I ought not use that illustration. There are times, <laughs> there are times you might wake up and life's not good, and life's not great, and life's falling apart, and everything, everything's just 
as bad as it can be, and you're ready to just go down to the street, maybe to your local bar or your local drug dealer or whatever it is, and you'll just tide one over because your feelings, your, your feelings are telling you you can't handle it, it's not worth it, don't do it, uh, or, or do it, excuse me, and, and your feelings are taking you that direction. But there's something else inside of you that says, no, 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 that really isn't what I should do. It really isn't going to help me any. I've been down that road before. I don't want to mess my life, life up anymore. Can you see in that moment how your feelings can be screaming at you one thing? But really you can still dig out the motive that says, no, 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 no. I've been down this road before. I don't want to do that again. Well, it can work that way in every area, negative or positively. Your motive is more like a conviction and you can choose your way to a right motive. You can choose your way to a right motive. Now, here in Zechariah, this background of this particular passage was that the Jews who had been exiled, they'd been taken into captivity in Babylon. They had finally reached the place that they had spent the prescribed amount of time in captivity and God had finally... uh, gave them their moment of release. So the exiles were being released from their captivity in Babylon, and all of these Jews now are slowly making their way back to Israel. Now, a part of the return of the Jews back to Israel was that when they got there, they were to restore the temple, they were to restore the worship practice, the sacrificial system, they were to restore everything that they had originally had, But even more importantly to God was that they were to restore their hearts back to him. You can have a temple, you can have a sacrificial system, you can have all the trappings of worship, but God isn't just looking for the trappings, he's looking for the heart. And so when they're being released and they're going back to the homeland, the promised land, of all the things that God says to them, he wants to be sure that they get their heart in the right place. You know, when, when you go, let's say, to an encounter weekend, our encounter weekend is a weekend where we minister and, and provide people the opportunity to be set free from all sorts of bondages and issues and problems, and, and, it, and it's our method of deliverance, and it's a powerful, powerful weekend. But once you get out of an encounter weekend, it's kind of like being released from captivity. When you're released from encounter, when you're, when you're released from your captivity, and you begin to walk it out, God isn't just looking to get the house right, as important as it is to get the house right. It's not just getting you a good job or getting your finances in order. All of these things have their place, and it's what God would want to do in your life. But the first thing He wants to do is He wants to get your heart restored. Because if He can get the heart right, everything else begins to find its place. And so the people come back to Israel, and they begin to start the work of rebuilding all of these things after the exile externally it all looks good and is often the case though though externally things look good there were still issues that were undermining their motives and for that matter their motivation now there were three problems and it's the same problem that affects everybody in this room it affects me as well there are three problems that affect your motives number one it's this disinterest disinterest People make a great start at something, but then they experience opposition. 
I'm going to share with you something few people will share anymore, but we believe in truth and advertising here, and it's this. That when you begin to seek God's will and to do His Word and to live all out for Him, let me just share this with you. You're going to face opposition. Come on now. I I wish I could tell you it's all a bed of roses. Everything's perfect. Everybody thinks you're going to be, you know, the greatest thing that they've ever met. That is not the case. Whenever you start into the will of God, there will be an opposition to these things. And here they are trying to do the will of God. They've been released from their captivity and they still find opposition. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair, but that's just the way it is. And so what happens is they turned away from God's mandate because they're trying to do the will of God, but there's opposition to it. So instead of doing what God said for us to do, let's just do what we want to do ourselves. And they start building their own houses. Now, listen very, very carefully. How many of you know everybody needs a place to live, right? I I, I need a place to live. You need a place to live. God is not against you having a house. In fact, I'll just share this with you. God's not against you having a beautiful house. However, it was God who pulled their tails out of captivity. And now they had lost interest in what God was interested in. Well, then why were they fasting? Well, they were fasting for their own houses. They had reached the place where they had said, oh my God, I can't, I can't get everything I want. So I'm going to fast so I can get my house done. I'm going to fast so I can get this done. And, and God finally steps up and he's, and, and this is what he's saying. He's saying it almost kindly because you know, God was known for a time or two in the Old Testament of saying, I will pour out my fiery indignation on all flesh. And, but this time he says, He says, are you really fasting for me? You see, they were fasting for what consumed them, not what was consuming God. Not realizing this very thing, that if we would get the heart of God, and if we would obey God, and if whatever God's priorities, and whatever God's purposes were, if we got a hold of that, and we began to fast for the things of God, do you know what God will do? The Bible says this, God, who is a debtor to no man, He will repay. And if I pour myself into the things that that God is involved in, what happens is, is that God sees that and he begins to pour himself into the things I'm involved in. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? But you see, what happens is it gets convoluted. It gets convoluted because of the opposition and disinterest took place. Number two, there was discouragement. The discouragement was it was taking longer than they had initially thought. In fact, they thought they were going to be a lot farther down the road than they were at that particular moment. And how many of you also know how easy it is to get discouraged when things aren't happening on our timetable? I mean, we want things to have happened yesterday. I can already tell you, I've been before the Lord before and said, Lord, it seems like it would have been far more economical if we would have done a couple of these things a couple years ago. There are things that we could have taken care of last week or the month prior. And Lord, I know, I, you know, I know you're God, but you know, I, listen to me. We really would have been better if we would have worked it. And the Lord is not on our timetable. He is not on our schedules. He can do things when He wants. It's always perfect. We know that. But we get discouraged when we think it ought to happen when we think it ought to happen. And so what we do is, is that we fast in order to hurry God up. We want to, we want to fast in order to get God on our timetable and our schedules. Or what we want to do is we want to modify things. And in other words, we think if we fast, well, I'm just going to fast Cokes. Well, wow, aren't you sacrificial? 
that you would sacrifice a Coke. Yeah, we want, we want to sacrifice a Coke and have God open up the heavens and pour millions on us. You see, I'm convinced that God will exercise patience in his release of his promises in order to purify our motives. If you want to know why God waits at times, I believe it for, to be for this reason, is that he is purifying our motives. He's finding out if you're in this just for what is the reward or are you in this for him? And are you in this for his ways? And so he waits and he finds out. He finds out what you're really hungry and thirsty for. And then finally, number three, what was affecting their motives was their dissatisfaction. In fact, many of the people that had come back from captivity were old enough to have remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. And Solomon's temple was, I mean, an incredible, incredible temple. Nothing like it had ever been built. And, And so they remember what Solomon's temple looked like. And can I also say this? Whenever you're away from something for a real long time, how many of you know it always looks better when you get a little distance from it? It's it an interesting thing about time. Time tends to make us forget all the challenges and we just remember all the good things, which is why after time, there are people that turn around and go back to their old way of life because all they remember is the giggles and the happy times and the slaps on the back and the friends and all the things. And, and, and then they're walking and they're discouraged and and, and, and they're disinterested, and all these things are challenging them. They're dissatisfied. And then all of a sudden, all they remember is all the good stuff. They don't remember. They don't remember when they were passed out and when they were, you know, drugged out and when they were fearful and fretful and full of worry. They don't remember all that stuff. And so here are these people who had remembered Solomon's temple, and they not only remembered it in what was splendorous, but they remembered it probably in even greater ways. And so here they come back, to their homeland and they're starting to build again and it didn't look like what they had originally had and they became very dissatisfied i can remember oh wow do you realize we are almost we are in our seventh year of existence you know that it's legacy our seventh year that's amazing to me and i can remember back years ago now I mean, we're talking probably 2002 somewhere when Legacy was first started and we were in Legacy 1. For those of you that don't know what Legacy 1 is, it was, if you go by Hey Tire, what's it called now? It's a designer, little designer shop and it's had automobiles in it and it used to be a discount furniture world. That was Legacy 1. We spent some time at Legacy 1. And I remember uh, in Legacy 1, we had started to do some renovations, and I was just dumb as a doornail. And so we went in there, and I just started doing renovations. And I, and I know you're looking at me thinking, you're just dumb, Pastor. And I was. I'll just admit, I was really dumb. Because I didn't know you had to get that stuff permitted. I'm just going to put up a, two walls and paint. I wasn't going to bother anybody. Oh, but, but the city inspector found it. And I'll never forget the big red stop order. And so uh, we stopped. We had to stop right in the middle of the whole deal in order to, uh, you know, not aggravate uh, city codes and all those sorts of things. And I'll never forget in those early days, there was probably many that thought this, but there was one who was at least bold enough to say it. And I mentioned it to Tracy most directly, but said this, said, I can't do this. Well, you can't do what? Well, I just can't, I just can't do this whole pioneering thing. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't live in, 
in, in, in this building. I can't live with these walls. I can't live with all of this. I, I, I can't, I can't do this. Well, why? Well, it's not like what I had. Are you with me? What I had was like Solomon's temple. And it's not meeting my aesthetic needs. I'm not satisfied with this. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like all of this. And, and let me just say that there is nobody here. There is nobody in this room right now that looks at those pictures of our new facility and wants to be there more than me. Oh, if we could put a meter on our spirit right now, my meter would be going burn and blow up. I will assure you there is nobody here. And most of you have been with me long enough to know that I like it nice and I want things nice and I, I, I like all of those things. So knowing this, we also need to realize there can be a, a valid point that is made as we're producing excellence and wanting to be excellent before the Lord. But there comes a moment God puts all of us in a situation that gives us a gut check that asks us, what is our motive for worshiping Him? What is our motive for serving Him? What is it about? Is it just about your personal comfort? I'd rather have the presence of God and the will of God in a mall. I mean that now. It took a while to weed it out of me. I'll be honest with you. I didn't get here instantly. It took a while to get here. But I've been weeded of some of those things. I would just soon be in a mall with the presence of God than be in all the bells and whistles and frills and sitting in a desert. But they're dissatisfied and they were fasting. Now I understand. I, there's a, you say, well, pastor, aren't you fasting to get our new building done? No, I am fasting for the presence of God. And if the presence of God comes, he will give us his building. Why are you fasting? Why are you? I mean, it, it doesn't have to be in that arena. It can be in your own arena. Why are you fasting? Well, I'm, 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 I'm fasting because I... I've got to get, I've got to get this house. I'm, I'm fasting because I need to get this money. I'm fasting because I want this or that. Come on. You fast and desire the presence of God. And the Bible says that He will give you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And you've got to realize the way this thing works. It doesn't work. I want what I want and God must do it. It's I want God and then He will he will give me the desires of my heart. It says this, that if we will seek the kingdom first, all of these things will be added unto us. So, why are you fasting? Now turn back to Isaiah. And let me read to you. This is a great chapter. Isaiah 58 is a great chapter. You may not be able to see this. This would have been a good time to have TV. Can you see that? Can you see my Bible? I don't know if you all can see that. If you can't, I'll just, I'll just try to describe it to you. It is marked up. See all that marked up? That is a clean sheet at the first of this week. And it's all marked up now. I hope your Bible isn't so holy you can't circle it and underline it. And say, well, what, what happens if it gets filled up? Go get you a new one. Read it again. So I was reading Isaiah 58. And uh, Basically, the chapter is dealing with people who have the wrong concept or the motivation for the fast. Now, I just want to read through this slowly. I tried to outline this. You know how I love to put numbers and letters. But I'm just going to read through this, and hopefully you can follow along, and maybe the guys can follow along with me if you, if you didn't bring. 
a Bible with you today. You can follow along on the screen overhead. But Isaiah is speaking as a prophet. He's speaking the word of the Lord to the people about their concepts of fasting. And in Isaiah 58, verse 3, he begins, he begins to mimic or parrot what he's hearing in the land. And this is what he's hearing. This is what the people are saying. They're saying, why have we fasted, they say. And they're talking to God. And you have not seen. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Now, I'm just going to take you through a little hermeneutics class right here because this is a really pretty simple chapter. And you know what's going on here. The people are saying this. We're fasting, God, but it's not producing anything for us. We're fasting, God, but it doesn't seem like you're paying attention. We're fasting, God, and it seems like you just aren't noticing what it is I'm doing. Come on now, I'm skipping Snickers. This ought to move something in the heavenly realm. You know, I'm just pulling your leg right now. That's what they're saying. They're saying, we're doing this thing and it's not producing. Hey, you know what? I, you could really preach this on any one of a number of subjects. Hey, Lord, I'm, I, I've tithed, but I'm not seeing anything happen here. I'm praying, but I'm not seeing anything happen here. I'm doing what you've asked me to do, and I'm not seeing anything happen here. It doesn't seem like you're taking any notice. I just keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but it seems like you aren't even looking at what's going on. Well, then listen. What he says here in the second half of that verse, he says, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and extol, it says, exploit, excuse me, and exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. So what he says here, the Lord says this to them. He says, your fast, he says, you're finding pleasure. What that word literally means is it's self-seeking. That's what pleasure is. Pleasure is that which is, is really self-gratifying or, or self-seeking. It's pleasurable. Now, there's nothing wrong necessarily with, with pleasure, but just un- understand what pleasure is. Pleasure is that which gratifies self. And he says that they're doing it because they're convinced their selfish desires will be fulfilled. He says, you're fasting because you're convinced that somehow or another through this spiritual exercise, your selfish desire will be fulfilled. But he says, look at, I can see exactly what's going on. He says, you're fasting for strife and debate. You're literally being fussy and you're being angry and you're being hard to live with. In fact, he was looking at those that were masters. He says, you strike with the fist of wickedness. He says, you're fasting in order to get me to move, supposedly, and yet you're being abusive with employees and other people. So what the Lord is looking at him, and I'm just kind of filling in the blanks, the Lord is saying, instead of fasting for things like justice and mercy and compassion and the things of God and the will of God and the heart of God in the earth, he's saying, you're fasting for yourself and you're making everybody around you miserable. In fact, everybody around you would just like to say, quit the fast, go to McDonald's. Go to Outback, go wherever it is you go, you're much better full. That's literally what's going on here. And then it says, God says, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. God says, don't think you're going to get my attention doing it this way. He says, don't you think for a minute that you can fast and somehow, somehow sort of 
finesse your way, finagle your way, manipulate your way into me doing something for you. He goes, it's not going to work this way. In fact, in verse 5, it says, is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? And an acceptable day to the Lord. Even in those days when it was acceptable to fast and lay out ashes and put on sackcloth. All these things they could do in genuine, in genuine spiritual uh, ways. The Lord says, it doesn't impress me. Your, your sackcloth and ash doesn't impress me. Your fasting doesn't impress me. You walking around moaning about how much you're fasting and me not doing anything doesn't impress me. You see, you can't whine with God and He's going to move. We whine with other people and get our way. But we just can't whine with God and get our way. Amen. I'll just say that to the young people. Young people can whine and get their parents to finally relent. You can't do that with God. He's just unmovable. And so he says, you may be doing this fast, but let's be clear, God says, I know what's in the heart. I can see the motive. And then the Lord gives this list, which is really great, of what... The true motive of a fast really is. Now, you ought to write this one down. If you don't, uh, please remember Isaiah 58 and go back and read it. But if you want to know what you should be fasting for, these are some of the things that God says are on my heart. Number one, He says that a motive of a true fast is to see bondages broken from people's lives. He says in verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. God says, you know what would impress me? It would impress me if I saw my people fasting in order that they might have the ability to see bondages broken from people's lives. Can I suggest that you and I fast for an anointing to set people free? Come on, now, I don't know what all you've got on your list to believe God for, but could you just kind of slide to the top of the list? Let's fast for an anointing on our lives to set people free. We need to fast for a deliverance ministry that really, as it says here, breaks every yoke. Not some yokes, every yoke. I'm tired of seeing some people set free for some things, but there are other things that never seem to get addressed. I want to see an anointing for all things. Come on now. The word to loose, which is the reason when I say that, it sounds like my cat, doesn't it, Kaylin? My cat's name is Toulouse. I never thought about this before. I'm getting a revelation right now. Not to loose the cat, too loose. Too loose literally means to destroy. See, we think too loose means to untie, to let go. And it does, but it literally means, if you follow its etymology, it means to destroy. We're to destroy all the bonds of wickedness. And prophetically, that has been God's word to us, that we would have an anointing for the cases that even the psychiatrist would give up on. Now, I don't know that we have that anointing yet, but I'm fasting for that anointing. I'm fasting for an anointing that when people come in, they find genuine solutions. They find genuine answers. They say to themselves, I've been this way for years, and I guess it's just the way I am. And we can look them in the eye and say, in Jesus' name, no, it's not. 
He says, that is the fast that I've chosen. Number one, to see those bondages broken. Number two, he says here in verse seven, to meet the natural needs of people around us. He says, is this fast not to share your bread with the hungry? I mean, there is a legitimate place that we need to fast for the natural needs of people around us. Now, this year, I am going to do my best to just get everything I know. With God as my witness, everything I know, I'm going to attempt to get it all in order. And we are asked to responsibly help people. God says this is, this is his heart, is, is to responsibly help people who are in need. Now, I'm going I'm to share some, some, something with you. Being a pastor, and I've been a pastor a long time, but I have been burned and scammed so many times helping people out. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I will feel like this is the thing to do and I've been burned, been scammed. You help people out and, you know, you see them for a Sunday and then you never see them again. And I I don't give people help and assistance just, you know, to have them come, but you'd like to think if you're helping people out, they'd want to keep getting the real help. Not just getting a fish, but maybe start learning how to fish. So you pay your, their electric bills and you pay their water bills and you get things started. And, you know, we, we have a whole way that we have done this. But I'm going to be honest with you. Through the years, I have been burned and I've been scammed so many times. And I'm just standing up because I think at some level it, it's going to move God in some way. If I stand up and say, even though I hate to admit it, I had become somewhat calloused. I'd reach the place where if somebody had a story, it was like, yeah, right. Because I've been burned. I'm, I'm telling you, a few months back, I was scammed in a benevolent scheme. You know, you know, what, you know what I think is just evil? Let me tell you what I think is evil. It's, it's bad enough when people scam you and you're, and you're entering into a get-rich-quick scheme. There's something in me. When people want to get rich quick and then they get scammed, there, there's a part of that. It's, it's like it's what you get. Because, because you were just trying to get rich quick. You were trying to, I, I mean, it wasn't like it was altruistic. It wasn't something that was really, you know, for others. So sometimes I say to myself, when people get scammed and get rich quick schemes, I'm not saying it's right or legal or anything else, but there's a part of it that they might learn a lesson from that. But when you're trying to do something that helps people, when there's nothing, I mean, when I turn someone's light bill back on, it's not like I get to enjoy that light. If I feed somebody, it's not like I'm sitting down and eating that food. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, when, when you get scammed because you're trying to do something right and you get scammed and that takes away the money that could have helped somebody else, that is irritating. Now, I'm a man of God, but I'm irritated, see? So I've been scammed and I've been scammed. I mean, we had, I mean, it was a slick scam and I got scammed. A couple hundred bucks, I got scammed. And I came out of that thing internally and i said to myself fine that's just it i mean i just i just in my in my now i'm talking about in my heart i just constructed this thing in my heart and i began to read this and read this and read this and the lord the holy spirit began to deconstruct those things and and can i just say this you're always going to get burned as a christian you just you just might as well get used to it you're going to get burned and the lord said he, he calls me kevin because I'm not the Lord's pastor. He said, Kevin, you gotta, you gotta fast your way back to true compassion. You gotta, you gotta fast your way back to true mercy. 
you got to fast your way back to true justice. And some of you here today, you've been, you've been burned in a number of ways. You've been burned in relationship. You've been, you've been burned because someone took advantage of you. And, and I'm just telling you, God's saying it's time we fasted our way back to where God wants us to be as his people. With justice and mercy and compassion. That's a part of the fast. Number three. The Bible says that the true fast is to reach out to the afflicted class and bring them in. It says here, and that you bring to your house the poor. In fact, the word for poor isn't just those who are economically uh, without any money. But basically, in the Bible, when it says the poor, it means those of lower status, those who are afflicted, those who may be in great depressions, and, and those who are cast out. The word literally is, is defined wandering. And so the Lord says a part of the fast we need to enter into is to reach out to those who are of a lower economic strata and that are wandering around, not knowing what to do or where to go. Why do you do that? Well, the purpose is to declare good news to them. We declare good news that there's a Jesus who wants to break that poverty off their life. There's a Jesus that wants to lift them up and set them at another place. My prayer for years has been, and you've all laughed with me at this. Some of you have prayed it too. Lord, could you just give me a few functional people here? Now, don't be offended by that. Can you just say amen? We're all dysfunctional at some level. All of us are. I know most of you now for years, so I'll say amen for you. And you've known me, so you can say amen. We're all dysfunctional at levels. But there comes a moment when you, when you walk with each other and you know each other and you're, and you're trying to do a work and you're trying to go forward and you're trying to push ahead and yes, you're trying to build buildings and you're trying to do ministry and you're doing all the things that are there. You get before the Lord and say, Lord, it sure would be nice just to have somebody who knew how to... Somebody who knew how to tithe and I didn't have to teach him. Or somebody that knew how to be generous and I didn't have to teach him. Somebody that could just underwrite the whole thing. Now, we'll always work with down and out people. But you know, I hope you know my heart. My heart is, it'd just be nice to have a little scoot along. Be nice to have somebody to just scoot you along. Takes a few bucks. I don't know if you know this, but it takes a few bucks to turn this thing on. Now, what your electric bill here is my electric bill in this place, just the electric bill in this place is $1,300 a month. Amen. So it takes some bucks to make it happen. Now, I'll just tell you what the Lord says. The Lord says, you're to fast that those that need good news come. You know, if the rich come, I'll be glad to redeem their millions. If they're looking for a place to put their millions, I'll be more than happy to take that off their hands. But truth is, people who are at the bottom of the barrel are usually the easiest to pick up and restore. Now, don't misunderstand me. The wealthy need Jesus too. The wealthy need to be saved. The wealthy need to be delivered. The problem is their money at times has blinded them or even deceived them to a lot of their needs. They can, they can uh, uh, keep a lot of their needs at arm's length. Those of us that don't have a lot of money, God can get through to us real quick. Isn't that true? 
So the rich need Jesus. But hear me now, if we start ministering the full gospel and power, you can take a few poor folks and turn them into kingdom rich folks and it'll be a God thing. We're declaring good news to the poor. We look at them and say, I know a God that can pull you out of where you are and put some bucks in your pocket and get you ahead and you can become profitable in the kingdom. And sometimes it's easier to teach them at that level than it is to go ahead and try to reconfigure them at a greater level. So we got to reach out. He says, you got to begin to begin to fast for those to come in. Number four, he says to provide covering to the isolated, true covering. He says here, there's those that are naked. When you see the naked that you cover him, I, I just was thinking about that. And naked is not just shirtless or pantless. I mean, even in those days, I, I don't know that shirtless or pantlessness was a real problem. I, I, I don't know that it's a real problem here in our city. I haven't seen a lot of naked people going down Sam Rittenberg. So I, I, I don't know that that's just one of those great problems that we're facing but truth of the matter is the Bible oftentimes uses that analogy, listen to me, to say that people are not covered. Naked is being uncovered. And what that means is they're not under any authority, they're not connected in any relationship. And there are people you know right now, you know in your mind right now people, you work with them, you go to school with them, and they say they love God, and I believe they probably do. They say they know Jesus, and I believe they probably do. But they aren't covered by a local church. They don't have a pastor. They aren't in relationship. They don't have any connections. They're just isolated and on their own. Maybe they had a few bad experiences in church life. Welcome to church life. If you've been in church more than a week, you'll have a bad experience. I'll tell you that right now. So you're going to get hurt. You're going to get wounded. You're going to feel like somehow or another it didn't work. But it is time we fasted until some folks got into the local church. Because the local church really is God's expression of His body in the earth. It really is. And if they don't come here, they need to get somewhere. Number five, he ends it with this. He says, if you want to know what a true fast is, he says you ought to fast to restore family dysfunction to health. He says, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. I mean, it's pretty bad when one of your family members calls you on the phone and you see their number up on that dial and you go, I ain't answering that one. That's hiding yourself from your own flesh. We got to fast for our families. We got to fast out the dysfunction and the uproar. We got to fast for salvation. We've got to fast for serious Christianity. I mean, these things right here, I'm just going to stop right here. These things are the true motivation. Of a fast that God says, I I'll be involved with you in that. Now, I can't elaborate on everything that the Lord says, but i got to finish reading it because this is what He says. When we get the motive right, then the rewards will come. If you're fasting for the rewards, you're, you're not going to see anything, but you get the motive right. God says, let me tell you what can happen. He says in verse 8, He says, then, everyone say then. You know, when it says then, it means if you do what's ahead of this. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. In other words, there'll be no more obscurity. I'll bring you out of obscurity. It says your healing shall spring forth speedily. How many of you would have liked to have been healed yesterday? Sure, your healing will spring forth speedily. It says here that your righteousness shall go before you. You're not going to have to go around raising 
up your own flag and waving it in front of everybody and having to tell them, you know, you love God and you're a Christian and yanny, yanny, yeah. They're going to know. Your righteousness will go before you. They'll know a man of God and they'll know a woman of God when she comes in the room. It says, then the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Have you ever felt like you've been bitten the rear Well, the Bible says that if you get your motive of a fast ride, God becomes your rear guard. He's got your back covered. Verse 9, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, He will say, Here I am. Wouldn't it be cool for you to suddenly go, Lord, Lord. And remember, earlier in the chapter, they were crying out, and they were saying, Lord, you're not taking any notice of what's going on. But now he says, if you'll get the motive right, you'll cry out, Lord, Lord, and God will go, here I am. Here I am. He says, if this will all happen, if you take away the yoke from your midst, if the pointing of the finger, which is judgment, and always looking at other people and picking out their specs when you've got this big old two-by-four beam coming out of your face, The pointing of finger. The speaking of wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. This is cool stuff. The Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy your soul in drought. How many of you know that we're in a drought time economically? Things are drying up. People's 401ks are drying up. Their stocks are drying up. Their jobs are drying up. Everything's drying up. But God says, I'll satisfy you in bad times and famine times. I'll strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And then the one that really lit me up was verse 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repair of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Folks, I'm telling you that if if the motive gets right for the fast, God will do all of these things that He says. And then He says this, I will cause you to go into your city. And as you go into your city, you will raise up the broken places and the broken foundations. You will repair the dysfunction and the brokenness. You will be the restore of streets to dwell in. Literally, what that means is is that you will change the whole atmospheric climate. Those of you that are in North Charleston or live in the North Charleston area, instead of being the seventh most dangerous city in America, if we get this right, we can drop dramatically on that list. It is time we changed the atmosphere. We didn't just grow churches. We changed the spiritual climate. And God says, I will do it. If we get our motives right. Why are you fasting? How is your motive? Remember, nobody really knows except you and God. Nobody knows your motive. I started to mention this last Sunday. And... Uh, I'll just, I'll just end with it again right now. I was, I was 18 when I was born again, and I started studying for the ministry when I was 19 years old. I was about halfway through my freshman year in college when all of this took place, and I had to change the whole direction of my life. And I didn't know anything. Let me just, let me just tell you where I started. I started 
at the place. I'd never read the Bible in all my life. I'd never read the Bible. I went to church, but I didn't know my Bible. I knew some of the stories, sort of, but I really didn't know my Bible. And so when I started studying and I'd go, go to school to study the scriptures and, and the professor would start teaching, I, I, I don't want to say this, I felt like it was doubly hard for me because he would start teaching on familiar accounts in the Bible but what was familiar to all the rest of the class, because it was a denominational school, and most of the kids that were in those classes had been Christian kids for years. They'd grown up in Christian homes that had heard those stories read or taught or preached. And so he could, he could as a professor, make some assumptions as he taught that everybody would know what he was talking about. Well, I was in the class, and I didn't know anything. And, and so as he would be teaching stuff and he'd be going on, I was sitting there kind of scoping it out going, I don't know this story. I don't know anything about what he's talking about. Oh, sweet Jesus. And, and so it was, you know, there's nothing worse than going to school and not just having to study for the test because everybody knows how you go to school. When it's test time, you just want to study for the test and that's all you want to study for. But you couldn't do that. You had to at least know a little bit of what was behind what he was going to test about or it would have been worthless. And, and so I felt like I had to do twice as much, you know, so my B should have been an A. See, but I've been to encounter and gotten over that now. But that, but, but so, so I was, I was, I was just dumb as a doornail. I really was. The one good thing God did in that was this. I got to read this book with fresh eyes. I didn't hear the years of old stale yeah tradition and i mean i listened to a professor do headstands you remember when abraham tried to get his wife sarah by king abimelech and lied and said sarah was his sister remember that i listened to a professor do headstands through that trying to maintain abraham's righteousness and that it wasn't really a sin i said the dude lied he lied it's there it's in the bible he lied see that's it so that endeared me to a lot of people. So, I'm really getting to a point here. And, and so I was just as dumb as a doornail. Now listen to me, listen to me. I didn't know much. I don't know that I, I was as purified as I needed to be. I will assure you, being 49 years old, that I can tell you right now that I had no clue as to all the purification and consecration that needed to happen in my life at the age of 19. I, I didn't know much. I was probably in some ways very arrogant. And I, I, I could list my faults that I can so clearly see now. At the time, I was clueless. But I didn't know enough to know I just wanted to do it God's way. and Read his book and pray. And, and I'll never forget, at 19, they're just, some of us young guys, we just got a heart for our campus. And on Friday night, I mentioned it, I think, last week. On Friday nights, we decided that we were going to call a prayer meeting at 10.30 on a Friday night, Smith Religion Building, room 123. And there were just like, I don't know, I want to say five of us. There might have been seven. And we just decided we were going to fast and we were going to pray. We are going to pray that God would move on our campus. And he would move in our lives. And that that prayer meeting it was interesting we didn't really do much because we didn't know much i mean nobody took us seriously i mean when you're 19 20 years old i mean nobody takes you serious but god took us serious and on friday nights you say why did you choose friday night at 10 30 because we really believed that if we would find the most inconvenient time to get before god 
Because you've got to realize, your, your college, you, you go on dates, Friday at 10.30, I mean, that's inconvenient. I mean, that cuts into prime date time. But we felt like we would really be, you know, now, dumb as a doornail, remember that. But that's what we decided to do. And we got before God in that little meeting with five, seven just guys. All of a sudden, just expanded without much work, really, from us. We just prayed, and then we fasted. And God, God grew that. At 1030 at night, it grew. There, at one time, there were over 200 young people Friday night at 1030 that would gather to pray. Now, I can't tell you all the things that God did and taught and all the ways it went wrong and all the rest. But I will tell you this, that out of that prayer meeting, a church was birthed in that city. And it actually became one of the more notable spirit-filled churches in that area, just out of that college prayer meeting, because people were hungry for God. Now, I've seen, see, I've seen what God can do. He opened doors for us that no other way could be opened. I was 19 years old, hadn't been saved a year, and they were, they were giving me invitations to go preach at revivals and camp meetings. You got to understand, I hadn't been saved a year and a half, and, and they put me in front of college chapel in that whole school with 1,400 students to speak to them. That just didn't happen. You say, well, you must have been good. No, I know right now it wasn't because I was so good. It was because God was good when he saw that there were people who prayed and they fasted. My heart wasn't to get up in front of 1,400 people. My heart was just to see God move. I might have been dumb in a lot of areas, but I was pure enough just to want God to move. Folks, I'm not saying you're the smartest or I'm the smartest. I'm not saying we're the purest. I'm just saying, have we reached the place where we want him more than we want anything else? And let's just let the rest find its place. But right now, if we'll seek him, he will come. And he will do things that you can't even begin to imagine. I want that more than anything. I want that for this church. I really believe this whole city needs an expression of that. I want to be a part of that expression. I hope you do too. Would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, maybe there was something that I said that began to stir something in your people again this day that you can use, Lord, to challenge them, maybe to convict them, to encourage them, to motivate them. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that that you would send a fire to us that would begin to purge us from our self-consumption, our selfishness. Lord, I, I can't define that in every person's life here. Lord, there are so many people here that it could be defined in hundreds of ways. But Lord, you have a way of personalizing it to each one of us. And I'm praying right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to personalize to each one of us in ways that are very, very practical and ways that we can see very, very clearly. Lord, we want to seek your kingdom first. Lord, we're fasting for things beyond just our self-interest. But Lord, we want to enter into a true fast. We, we, we don't want to hear the words that say from you, are you fasting for me? Yes, Lord, we are fasting for you. And we want you to be able to say, I have taken note. And Lord, your heart and your will and your purposes and your plans would begin to be expressed in our midst 
and in the midst of this region that you've called us to. Lord, everyone in this room is called to this region. If they're living here and they're working here and, and they're going to school here, then they have a call here somehow, some form, some way. And I pray right now, Lord, that your purposes in us would be expressed now in this region. That, Lord, you would begin to change the atmosphere of this region. That you would begin to change the spiritual climate of this region. That, Lord, you would sensitize us to the things, Lord, that your word has said to us. And that, Lord, we can't always rely on on just an organized uh, church to meet all the things that you're asking us to do. Sometimes, Lord, we're walking on the street and we need to help the needy. Sometimes, Lord, we're just, we're just minding our own business and, and you're calling us to reach out and help somebody in a special way. Sometimes, Lord, encounters too far away that, that we have to somehow or another pray for this person and an anointing shows up that can set him free. So, Lord, we, we believe you're going to do these things in the church corporate, but, Lord, I pray now you've got to do these things in us as individuals. That's why, Lord, at least I've entered a fast. And I want you to do it for each one here, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell you what I want to do with our heads bowed right now. We have these walls. And I, I just believe it. It's the Lord. I didn't think about this till right now. I, I, I agree for every need. Every need that's on there. I, I, I'm amazed at how many of them are just pure and just right on target. But right now, there may be some of you right now before the Lord. This is the altar call this morning. That right now, if, you, if you're wanting to get your motive back in line, then I, I, I want you to slip out here and, and you can grab a marker and, and you, can just, you can just say, Lord, I'm just putting it before you. My motive's after you. I'm for you. And, and put it before the Lord right now. Put it before the Lord right now. I need, to, I, I need to, Lord, right now, put before you 24-7 my motives, my desires. I'm after you, O oh God. I'm after you, O oh God. Through this week, we're going to pray for this wailing wall. And I, I want to be sure when I lay hands on it or when others lay hands on it, that we're lifting up motives that are that are pure and genuine before the Lord. Come on, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's going to come up after you and just read and see what you wrote. Come on, let's, let's, let's have a sense of transparency and just say, Lord, as I write, as I write on this, I'm just saying, Lord, these are my motives. These are my, my heart's desires. take just a minute and just stand with these people that are just, they're just filling up this wall. All the pens are taken, just as soon as you're done, just hand it back to another one. Can you just begin to intercede right now? This is a good time to pray. We're in the house of God. Jesus said, 
that my house will be called a house of prayer. So would you just begin to pray right where you are as people are writing down their, their prayer and their, their desires. I want to just begin to pray, Lord, purify us. Give us clean hands and a clean heart. We want to be clean before you, oh God. Lord, we admit we have need. We're not hiding the fact that we have need. There are people in this room right now, Lord, that have incredible need. They need miracles, literally. They need miracles in their finances. They need miracles in their families. They need miracles in their job situation, in their careers. They need, they need miracles in any one of a hundred different areas. And Lord, when it's, when it's a need that's screaming at us on earth, it's so easy to get our eyes on it. We confess right now, Lord. It's so easy to see that. Lord, lift our eyes today to see you. Cause our eyes to be lifted from just this need that we might see the need meter. Lord, help us, help us break away from, from us being the center of the universe to where we recognize and acknowledge that you are the center of the universe. And that, Lord, we commit to seeing your purposes come to pass. Do you remember, some of you right now as you're just standing here, do you remember the prayer that almost all of us have learned? We call it the Lord's Prayer. And it goes, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what it says then? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven then it says give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever come on Jesus taught us how to pray he, he didn't say your needs didn't have a place this is what he said he said you've got to seek his kingdom you've got to seek his will his plan as it exists in heaven that's what we're fasting for I'm not fasting just so you or others can get rich and prosper just because you just need a big bank account I'm praying that God will prosper you because along with that prosperity he'll give you a heart for kingdom matters and that he'll give you a heart for God's plans and purposes I listened the other day. I was listening as people are writing, and you can just keep coming. I listened the other day uh, to a C-SPAN speech by Pastor Rick Warren. I'd heard this before, but it was good to hear it again about how not only the Lord had used him in certain ways when he got that Saddleback Church started, but he began to share the story that when he had wrote The Purpose Driven Life and the Lord had given him all of that money, millions, literally millions of dollars. He said he made a decision. He and his wife sat down and they made a decision. The first thing they said was, number one, we were not going to change our standard of living. Number two, they paid back every dime the church had ever paid them over 20 plus years of ministry. He said, just felt like it's what we needed to do. They set up all sorts of, of uh, monies and programs in order to help people. Help people. Now, I'm sure he lives well. But you know what? I, I listened to that and I said, Oh God, oh God, put that in my heart. Put that in my heart. 
Let that, let that be something that exists in me. That if, that if you could entrust me with something like that, that I would have the wisdom and the wherewithal to not just build bigger barns and say, soul, take thine ease and put a few more toys in the garage. But that, Lord, I could not only pay my debt and maybe begin to address some of the things that I'd like to see happen, but that, Lord, I could literally turn that around. I believe what he said was that they'd reach the place where they can live on 10% and they can give the other 90 away. Is that not incredible? Could you really do that? Well, I believe right now that instead of just fasting for a bill to get paid, why don't you fast that God would prosper you and that he would create in you a heart that that could happen. Some of you have dreams right now. And some of those dreams include, and it's not bad, a step up in your standard of living. And, and may I just say this, that if there are people who live in Section 8 public housing, I'm, I, I want you to step up out of that too. I don't think there's anything wrong with stepping up. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But it's not just to step up and out into a new surroundings but it's time you step up and out into a new place with your God there is something powerful it's quiet, it's deep, but there is something powerful that's happening right now. You know, I've been in exciting services, and I've been in, in services where we've all hoot and, hoot and holler and shout and walk out and say, wow, wasn't that a great day? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, there is something deep and there is something powerful that God is wanting to do. I don't want to be excited for 15 minutes and then it fades away. I, I want something deep and abiding, something transforming to take place inside of me and inside of us. That when it bursts, I don't, I don't know how you want to describe it, whether it's an underground stream that just suddenly bursts forth that can't be stopped. Whether you want to call it like a volcano with with the fire that comes out of the ground that just can't be stopped. Some of us have lived on, on dribbles. Some of us have lived on just little showers, little drizzles. God's wanting an unstoppable river to begin to flow in our lives and in this place. And something deep and abiding and different is going to have to take place for that to happen. It's something like this when we just say, Lord, my motive, cleanse, cleanse my motive, Lord. I, I, I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose to fast for those reasons that you have mentioned. Thank you, Lord.
thank you, Lord. One more time, I want everyone to lift their hands up right now and just put them towards the walls. Father, right now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, I just, I just, I just put my hands. It's just a makeshift little wall here, Lord. Kind of a silly little illustration in some ways. But yet, Lord, let it be a powerful, powerful point of contact. Lord, for all the things that have been the written and hoped and dreamed and desired on these walls, Lord, we agree right now as a congregation. In Jesus' name, can you say, I agree in the name of Jesus that these prayers and commitments and intercession will stand before the Lord 24-7 all through the fast. I'm anticipating an unusual breakthrough. I'm anticipating an impactful happening. Because Lord, you don't call us to something without a purpose. And we believe and we agree we're fasting and we are praying and we are giving for your purposes. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen and amen. Let's put our hands together. Praise God. Amen and amen. You know, the scripture talks about solemn assembly, and oftentimes that's what accompanied the fast. And this morning, you know, we started out, we, 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 we praised, and it was in order. We broke through, and we worshiped God. And now there's solemn assembly here right now. Solemn assembly isn't come in and be solemn. Solemn assembly is when the Lord shows up, and we go, wow, this is really serious business here. And I want to be a part of it. Amen? Now, you can be in solemn assembly, but you can keep your joy. You can be in solemn assembly and have a smile on your face. You can be in solemn assembly and still praise Him and walk out of here and say, man, God's up to something big, isn't He? Amen. So, Lord, right now, let joy come into your people for the things of God that they're entering into. Lord, let a sense of delight rise up in them right now, Lord, that they are on the brink of some place, somewhere that they've never been before. Lord, I pray this week, Lord, this week, though the enemy comes against them one way, Lord, let him scatter in seven in Jesus' name. This week, Lord, let them realize they're not the only ones fasting, Lord, but there are literally probably a hundred other folk, if not more, that are fasting and agreeing with them at the very moment they're abstaining. Lord, let us know that you're linking us together in, in a way that we've never been linked together before to see breakthrough come to pass like it's never come before. And so, Lord, we just leave with our expectation high. Thank you for what you put in us this day, Lord. Let it bear much fruit, I ask. Again, in Jesus' name. And all the assembly said amen, right? And amen. God bless you. I hope I see many of you tomorrow night. Now, I hope many of you come tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. We'll keep you just an hour, but it is powerful. So I hope you're here tomorrow night at 7. But you're released. Hug each other's neck. Be a blessing to one another, and you are released. Amen.